Thank you very much. Now, if you look at the first parable in Matthew chapter 22, it is a parable of the wedding feast. Uh, our subject this morning, this afternoon, is entitled Called to the Feast, like the song says. The, 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 the issue of the wedding, uh, one speaker said it is December, so we, we speak of, of weddings, we speak of parties, we speak of many things, right? But can I ask you a question before we start? What comes to your mind, what, what is the first thing that comes to your mind if I were to come and give you um, an envelope saying, this is a wedding invitation? What would be the first thing that comes to your mind? I say, this is a wedding invitation and you have been invited. What is the first thing that you would, you would, you would say? I know the women would say, what, what am I going to wear? All right. But there's something first, there's something that you're missing before you get there. I'm giving you an invitation and I'm saying you have been invited. And somebody has sent me to give you this invitation. What, did, what is your first thought? Who's getting married? You can't decide what to dress if you don't know who's getting married. First of all, you need to know who is this that is inviting me and who's getting married. So that we can introduce the one that gets married. Secondly, there are issues around preparations, right? There are issues around reception. There are issues around uh, speeches. I want us to go through that, that process quickly and see how it unfolds in parable in the parable, the first parable in Matthew chapter 22. First of all, who is getting married in this parable? Usually we read this parable, but yet we never tend to ask ourselves, who is the groom and who is the bride? Are we still here? We read this, the wedding invitation, but we never get to get to ask that question and say, Who's getting married? We know that we have been invited by the king, but who's the king's son? And who is the king's son getting married to? Let's clear out those, first of all, before we know, before we can accept the invitation. Is that okay? Go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verses 2, 9, and 10. 21. Now listen to, 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 to who the... The, these people are. 21, verse 2. And I saw John, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Can you see? They are both, they are both there. You have the, the, the bride, you have the husband. But, but who are they? Verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the last seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit uh, to a great and high mountain and showed me the great, that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, who's getting married here? The Bible says the lamb is getting married. And the lamb's wife, who is the lamb's wife? The new Jerusalem. So we've got the two, the two individuals. We know who's getting married here. Now, can I just say, step back a little bit and say, the new Jerusalem that John sees coming down adorned as a, as a, as a bride for her husband, he sees the buildings. Are we, are we happy with that? But then the buildings must be made of congregants or of people. Am I okay to say that? The buildings must be made of people. And who are those people? Who are supposed to be those people? It's supposed to be you and I. It's supposed to be you and I who have been called. But you will see that the transition of, of, of the, 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 the guests, and listen to me carefully. In the, in the parable, you see that there are guests. You will see that we transition from being guests to being the bride. Are you happy with that? We move from being the guests to being the bride. So, if you look at, the, at first, let's talk about the, the wedding preparations. Now, in this wedding, brothers and sisters, there are two people, like I said, and I'm repeating myself, but there is something deeper than these two people. There is divinity and humanity going to merge. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is divine. New Jerusalem, or rather the people that make up the New Jerusalem, 
are humans. So there is two that are going to become one. Humanity and divinity in this wedding are going to be one. Let's move on. The wedding preparations. If you look here, there are three invitations that are sent out. Three invitations. One, he sent out invitations to those that he thinks they are his friends. To those that he thinks they are his close uh, 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 acquaintances. Those that he thinks they are close relatives. Those that he thinks that they can come when he invites them. But lo and behold, they don't come. He invites them and he thinks that I am, I am in trust. I bet they will come and they don't come. The second invitation come, comes as well. And he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. In case you think that I'm going to make you pay, you're not going to pay. It's for free. You will walk in here and enjoy yourself and go home freely. It's for free. You don't have to bring money. You don't have to bring your own. Have you ever been invited to a party or something? They say, bring B-O-B. Eh? Bring your own bread. <laughs> Here, it is not B-O-B. You are invited and everything has been taken care of. Come as you are. So that you may live as he is. Come as you are with all that you have. Come, I have prepared everything with your flat stomach, with your big stomach. Come as you are. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what, where you come from, but I have invited you because I have bidden you. Come. And they didn't come. This is the second invitation. The third invitation goes and says, no, they didn't come, so invite anyone. But before that, there is something interesting that happens. That those that have been invited, apart from them going to their own places and looking for their own business, what do they do? They slay the ones that are inviting them. They are slaying the messengers. This parable is very clear, brothers and sisters, and is very particular. Jesus Christ, when he came here on earth, he, he called his disciples, the twelve first, and he said, go and preach the gospel and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And after that, he invited them again, and the 70, he sent them again, he says, go and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the first invitation. But what happened is that they killed him. But after he was killed, their invitation still went out after he was, he, he was dead. The second one. Go and call them that were bidden to come. The food is ready. He was telling the Jews, come because you are the chosen ones, the bidden ones. The ones that I know, knows me. I was born as a Jew. I am inviting you because I know you well. I know you will come. You have seen me preach three and a half years. I know you will come. But they didn't come. And what happened? Instead, they killed him. And they also killed those that invited them. Stephen was killed. Peter was, was crucified upside down. All the disciples were crucified except John. And they were killed. Why? Why? Because they only said, come to the feast. A person is, is killed because they're inviting. I'm a beggar who's telling other beggars where to find bread. But the other beggars are killing me. Call to the feast. Come and enjoy. Celebrate with us. And they were killed. And after that, the Bible says, go ye to the highways and the byways. Now, that's where I come in. That's where you come in. When the gospel went to the byways and the highways in AD 34, you were a target. No longer the Jews. What, do, what does Stephen see in, 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 in Acts chapter 7? He says, I, I, when he looked up, he saw uh, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of the Father. Can I, can I just digress a little bit and talk about the difference between Jesus Christ sitting and Jesus Christ standing? 
You see, Jesus Christ, when Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I think, talks about it, says, I see the, the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. Under ordinary circumstances, Jesus Christ is sitting. But there is a time when he stands up, and there are two instances which I read about where Jesus Christ is standing. If you read uh, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and at that time shall Michael stand up. Why does he stand? He stands because he's standing for to fight for, 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 the, for the salvation of his people. There, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was it's since, the time, since the beginning of the time. And there's another time where he stands up in Acts chapter 7. He says, I saw Jesus standing. Why was he standing? Probation was closing. When probation closes, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has no time to sit. He stands up because he has, he has, he has uh, spoken on behalf, interceded, if you wish, on behalf of his people. And now time is up. That's why in Acts chapter 7, he stands up. He's not sitting. AD 34, Jesus Christ stands up. And at that time, at that time, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. I'm in AD 34. I'm following the parable. It goes to the Gentiles. And it says, those that are in the byways and highways, they come in. And as they come in, the Bible says they all came. Remember, these people were just picked up, busy with their own things. Some were passing by the street. Some didn't know, didn't know what they were doing. They were just loitering and they were called. And as they come, they are ushered into the wedding place, into the reception. But there is something that happens as they are, as they are ushered in. There's someone who is standing by the door there and he's asking them of their sizes. What is your size? 38, slim fit. <laughs> Takes 38, gives them slim fit. There, is a, there, are, there are bathrooms there. You can go to the bathroom and change and then come in. And everyone, as they come, they are asked of their sizes, every one of them. And every one of them, of the people that have been invited, they are coming and they are told, here is your size. Go to the bathroom, shower, and be ready to come in. But there is a gentleman one gentleman who walked in through the door and was stopped like everyone else and was asked his sizes and he says, why do you ask? And they say, because we want to give you a more appropriate attire for the occasion. And he says, what do you mean a more appropriate attire? What do, who do you take me for? Do you know this suit, how much it costs? Do you know how much I am wearing here? Do you know how much I cost? How, what do you mean a more appropriate attire? I am appropriate as I am. I will walk in as I am. And the gentleman at the door said, be my guest. And he walked in and sat down. Brothers and sisters, can I just say to you, we have been invited to a most exquisite time, exquisite place, exquisite wedding, exquisite event of all times. And that event happened since AD 34. No, you don't agree with me. That event we were invited all and sundry to come in. But can I tell you that although we come as we are, we don't enter as we are. When we come, we are called everyone the way we are. But when we walk in through the door, you are supposed to change your mentality. Change your thinking. Because you are now entering into a different place. You're going to have an audience with the grandmaster of the universe. When we walk in here, we change the way we think. At least that's the best we can do. Change the way in which we are attired. But can I tell you something? When we walk in here and we sit here, there is a work that is being done in us. Can I tell you about that work? When the king comes in, brother, how will it fare with thee and me when the king walks in? 
You see, when the king walks in, I'm not inside the reception. When the king walks in, he walks in with his hands at the back. And what is he doing? Investigating each one of us. Since 1834, since 1844, I beg your pardon, there has been a work that has been done. When the king walks in, in 1844, he starts a new work. Not just of invitation, but of investigation. Outside, he is inviting still, but inside, he is investigating. So, you who is inside, don't compare yourself with the one that is outside. No, you don't agree with me. If you are inside, don't say, even outside they do it. Mrs. White says, the world is slowly becoming like the church. And the church like the world. Those that are outside cannot be compared with those that are inside. Outside there is an invitation. Inside there is an investigation. We have accepted the invitation a long time ago. We are not at that stage anymore. So let's not, let's not speak like people who are yet to be invited. But let's speak about like people who are being investigated. And we are sitting down here and the king walks in. And the king walks in. Now, now let me move on to another parable. Leave that for a moment. The king walks in. And, and you know, that other one, it says there were five versions. Some were foolish and some were wise. And what happened to those that were wise? They brought up some oil. And they, they, they had an extra oil with them. Those that were foolish did not have an extra oil. And it says, they waited. They waited. Brothers and sisters, this church has gone through the waiting time. And I'm, I'm, starting, I'm, I'm talking about past continuous tense. We have gone through the waiting time. We still are. This parable of the five foolish and five versions, it is ambiguous. It has two meanings with it. It has a start and it continues. Now, let me explain what I'm saying. When Jesus Christ was moving from the holy place into the, to the most holy place, according to Daniel chapter 7. I don't know if you re you've read Daniel chapter 7. Let's read it together. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Please read it if you get it before me. I was watching in the night and behold, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. There to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, in, in 1843, there was a movement, a mighty movement, that preached the second coming of Jesus. This movement believed that Jesus Christ is going to come on the 22nd of October in, 1840, in 1844. And they believed and they preached with so much sympathy, with so much passion and so much power. William Miller, they were actually even called the Millerites. Brothers and sisters, we cannot forget where we come from. We come from that movement, that movement that preached that Jesus Christ is coming again. And they preached that he is about to come. October 22, 1844 is about to come. But he did not come. No, he came. but not to earth. Can I tell you why I mean that I'm saying that? Listen to verse, 20, verse, verse, um, verse, verse 13. I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came. Are you reading the same Bible as me? Came with the clouds of heaven. And I'm asking you a question. In 1844, did Jesus Christ come or not? Yes, he came. But he was transitioning from one ministry to another. 
He was moving from the holy place into the most holy place. Can I give you a context of this? The preceding verse, they say, I saw the ancient of days who moved and the thrones were set. And he sat down and he says, after that, I saw one like the son of man doing what? Following him. If you read early writings, Mrs. White says, I was there. I was taken in vision when this was happening. And I saw one like the son of man. And I stopped him. And go and read it. Any writings. I stopped him and I said, do you like, look like your father? He says, because when I looked before time, I saw an image. I saw something moving, which was glorious. And it moved from the holy place into the most holy place. And I deduced that was, that was the ancient of days. And then from there, I saw one like the son of man. And he was moving together with his, with his thrones. And as he was moving, I stopped him. This is Mrs. White. I said, do you look like your father? And he says, exactly, my father looks, looks like me. If you don't believe that, go to history. Hiram Edson, one of the people that were waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ in, in, in 1844, October 22, after the disappointment had happened, they, they were walking in the field. And as he was walking in the field, he saw something happening in heaven. He says, I saw heaven open in my eyes and I saw the Son of Man moving from the holy place into the most holy place. That's when I understood what had happened in 1844. And I'm saying to you, this is not a hearsay Adventist. It is in the parable. It is in this parable of, of Matthew chapter 25 whereby they are waiting for the bridegroom. And when they went into the, the, when they are waiting for the bridegroom, some of them, their lamps, what, what happened to their lamps? I mean, all of them, their lamps got dim, but some had more oil. Those that waited for the second, for Jesus Christ to come in 1844, many of them went away, faltered from their faith. Many of them. There were more than 50,000 people who were waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but only a handful waited, uh, uh, remained faithful after 1844. Five were wise and five were foolish. My Bible does not end there, and it says, uh, uh, and those that were ready. No, you're not ready. You know when, the, when young people say, I was not ready. Those that were wise, those that were ready, what, do, what happened to them? They went in with him. I'm talking about 1844. I'm not talking about the second coming. No, you're lost. I see you're sleeping also. <laughs> the, those that were ready went in with him. And, it's, and the Bible says, and the door was shut. Now, let's assume this is the wedding place. Right. And those that are ready comes in with him, right? And the door is shut. Which means that during the time of the wedding, those that are inside, they get to experience the beauty of the wedding. And those that are outside, they are left outside. But hear me well. Mrs. White says, in great controversy, she says, this, is, this was a development of the two sides of what is going to what we're going to have at the end of the of the time those that are ready who walk by faith with Jesus and those that are not ready who do not accept his intercessory work are you happy with that the two sides are started developing in 1844 so those that are ready walk with him so while we are sitting here you and I we fall either on, on one of the two. You either accept his intercessory work in the most holy place or you don't. I'm talking about the feast. And then let's go back to the first parable. When we get to the first parable, it says, and he made, he was walking around and he said to one of the guys, my friend, how come you have no wedding garment? How comest thou in here without a wedding garment? Can I explain what the wedding garment is, first of all? Let 
Let me explain what the wedding garment is not first. The wedding garment is not us who are merely human moralists. I don't know if you heard that. It is not us who are merely moral humanists. By human moralists, I mean we, we, we appear good. We act good. We dress good. We speak good. We, we act good. We eat good. But we don't have the spirit of God in us. We have practiced, we have practiced it is, we have practiced it. My wife helped me. We have practiced it so well. So well that we know what to do at what time. We have rehearsed Christianity so well, and yet we don't walk with Christ. We know what to say so that people can say amen. We know what, how to behave so that people can think we are high and lifted up. We know how to dress so that people can make us and lift us and respect us. We know what cars to drive so that people can have some kind of respect for us. Human moralists. We've become so good at that. That is what the, the, the righteousness of Christ or the garment of Christ is not. Let me say what it is. The righteousness of, or the garment of righteousness is having your thoughts submerged into the thoughts of Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. That's what the garment of righteousness is. Righteousness, the garment of righteousness, your will is inclined with God's will. You remember when he says, if you pray for anything eh, 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 according to my will, no, you still don't get that. If you pray for anything according to my will, how will you pray according to his will if you're not in line with his will? The, one of the reasons why, brothers and sisters, our prayers are not answered is because our wills are going in opposite direction with the will of Christ. The wedding garment says our passions are in line with the passion of Christ. Our thoughts, our wills are, are subject to God's, sub, to God's will. That's what the garment of, of righteousness is. In fact, the garment of righteousness says, if there is anyone who has offended me, I, I don't wait for them to forgive. I don't wait for them to come and ask for forgiveness before I forgive them. I forgive them prior to them coming to me. You see, the, the, the garment of righteousness says, if somebody has offended me, I don't go out of my way to show everyone else that he has offended me. I go in the secret place and I pray on their behalf before I approach them. The garment of righteousness says, if you don't agree about, about things that pertain to salvation, we agree to disagree. The, the, the garment of righteousness says, I esteem you better than me at all times. No, you don't, you don't agree. You see, when we, when we are driving by the streets there, the garment of righteousness says, a man who is a beggar, who begs for you for two rent, you esteem him greater than you. That's what the Bible says. Esteem him better than you. That's the garment of righteousness, brothers and sisters. The garment, of, the garment of righteousness says that we are, 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 are the soldiers which are under the command of Jesus Christ. We only act and change our direction if there is a command to do so. But you see, when we are inside the wedding feast or the wedding, the wedding venue, I call it the reception. And I'll tell you why I say the reception. Uh, my time has gone past one. 
I'll tell you why I, I call it the reception. Um, while we are in here, there is something that is happening also to us. And I want to pull, pull it out for you in, in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Verse 3, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and patch them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, let me just emphasize the point I made earlier. When Jesus Christ came in 1844, he came not to the earth, but he came to his temple, according to Malachi chapter 3. It says that messenger, that the Lord will come, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. That means he, moved to, he moves into the most holy place. That's fine. But what does he do? When he comes, verse 3, verse 2 at the end, it says, for he's like a refiner's fire. Can I ask you what the refiner's fire does? What does a refiner's fire does, do? It refines, isn't it? It makes something smooth. If it, if it had some, some curves that were not, uh, some, some undesirable pricks, it, it, makes it, it makes it curve, it makes it re, uh, refined and smooth. And he says, he's like the, the fuller soap. Refiner's fire and he, and he purifier of silver and he shall purify the sons of Levi. While we are here, brothers and sisters, and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I have to make this clear. When you come to church, you should, when you come to Christ, rather, we should have an attitude that says, I must show forth my worst, my worst, my worst characteristics. When I come to Christ, I must show forth my worst characteristics. I must not show Christ my best characteristics. Because Jesus Christ says, I have come, I, those that are sick, they are the ones that need the doctor. But those that are well, they don't need the doctor. So I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He also says, I am come as a refiner's fire, as a fuller soap. I am here to, to cleanse you. Now, if you come clean, what is the job of the Holy Spirit? When you present yourself as clean, what is the job of the Holy Spirit? You see, I respect people that come to church and smoke outside here. They come, and when, when, when that graving comes, they come and stand outside, and they start smoking. Why? Because they say, this is who I am. I have come so that I can be changed from who I am to what he wants me to be. And, and Jesus Christ says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't come rested already. Come as a person who is tired and heavy laden. But you see, when we come, we come in our beautiful suits. We come nicely dressed. We come with our beautiful tones. And yet, Jesus says, I want the one that is not beautifully toned. Come as you are. Now, in this wedding feast, we are cleansed, brothers and sisters. If I tend to speak a, a bit of a, of a vulgar language, this, I'm in the right place. No, you don't like it. You like people that are polished already. If I speak a little bit of a vulgar in this place, I, I'm at the right place. Here. Because there is a refiner. If I come and I, I'm a prostitute, I've come to the right place. If I come and I still go to the parties on Friday night, I have come to the right place. 
But there is an end to every evil work in this place. Burdens are lifted in this place. That's why we come as we are, we live as he is. You see, you can't, you can't tell us that this is how you are. If you don't respect time, you don't respect God. You can't for five years come late to church. Sometime in your Christian walk, you learn to respect God and his time. You can't excuse us and excuse yourself for the next three years and say, I come late and I've been coming late for three years. No! We ridicule the power of the blood. If I'm a liar, I still lie today and I came here three years ago. I ridiculed the power of the blood. It's either the Jesus that I have come to is the wrong Jesus or I resist the power of the blood. And one pastor says, if the God that you serve does not change you, change him. If the God, the, 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 the one who has invited us here to be the refiner's fire, if he does not cleanse us, then there's a problem with the, with the soap or the problem with me. And I say, don't be arrogant about your sin. Not in this wedding feast. Remember, you were given the government so that you can stay clean. Don't be arrogant about your debt. You see, some of us, our debt develops with time. While we are here, it becomes better. It becomes polished. We become more evil while in the church. When we are supposed to be better and refined. No, you don't like the sermon. But that's what the garment of righteousness is, brothers and sisters. The garment of righteousness, uh, I cannot, it is impossible. It is impossible for, for, in fact, this has not happened. It would be the first time that a blind man walks to Jesus. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, walks to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he says, go, your faith has made you whole. And Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, walks away still blind. It does not happen that the ten lepers between Samaria and Galilee, they met Jesus from afar. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. When they get to the priest, they are still lepers. And I say to you, if we have something that we needed to, to surrender to Jesus Christ, and for the past how many times it has not been resolved, then we have come here in faith. We must think thoroughly about why we come to this place, why we have been invited and been called. Let me finish it off. The, the third parable talks about a man who has gone to a faraway country. Can I just tell you what that faraway country is? It is the most holy place. The Bible says he has gone to the faraway country to receive a kingdom. If you read Daniel chapter 7 verse 14, it says he went there and he received. Now, did you read it well? It says he received the kingdom and dominion and power. And he says, the parable says, after he receives the kingdom, he comes back. Go and read that parable again. After he receives the kingdom, he comes back. Jesus Christ, when he went up to heaven, he went as a lamb that was sacrificed. And he, he, he stood, he's standing before the Father, interceding on your behalf. Names are accepted, names are rejected. He is standing there so that he can show his Father, my, Father, my, my wounds, Father, my blood. Give it another year. Why cumbereth it the ground? The Father asks, he says, give it one more year. He says that about me who has postponed baptism. He says, give it another year. He's, he's speaking to me, a young person who has been sleeping around and does not stop it. Give it another year. 
He speaks to me, a married man who has been cheating on their wives for many years. He says, give it another year. He speaks to you who has been a liar for many times. He says, give it another year. That's what he does in a faraway country. He has gone to do that in a faraway country. And the Bible says, when he comes back, can I talk about when he comes back? You see, when he comes back, brothers and sisters, he, he went away having, having, having established what is called the kingdom of grace. And let us come boldly before the throne of God so that we may receive grace and find mercy to help us in the time of need. He has established that. But he left it us for us here. That's why we ask for grace, something which we deserve, which we, 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 something we earn and yet we don't deserve. He left us mercy, something we don't deserve, yet we earn it. He says, establish the throne so that whosoever is weak, come to the throne. And that's what Isaiah saw. <laughs> Isaiah saw it in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1, I saw uh, uh, also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Did I say upon a throne? High and lifted up. He says, verse 2, his train filled the temple. Above it sat the, the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With train he covered his face. With train he covered his feet. With train he did fly. Verse 3, and one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, and the post of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, then said I, who is me? For I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, that is the throne of grace. That's the throne of grace. You see, once we approach the throne of grace, we become humbled. Who is me? For I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, I am humbled. He must increase, I must decrease. That's the job of the grace, of the throne of grace. If you see men walking with his, with his hands in the pocket and cannot greet you here in church, abundantly high and lifted up, he has not gone to the throne of grace. Show them the throne of grace. Pride does not uh, inhabit the same, the same place, the same spot with the throne of grace. Come down from your high, high horse. And be humbled with us. Now when he went up to heaven. <laughs> goodness. When he, when he went up to heaven. He, he is surrounded by his disciples. But his disciples can, can only see a cloud. That takes him up. They are not aware that that cloud is angels. Innumerable angels. And these angels are here to accept their commander. Their commander-in-chief. And they're, they're, they're happy that he has died and resurrected. They have got their hubs on and they're ready to celebrate him. And they go up in heaven. But there are two naughty angels that came down. <laughs> and they stand there and they ask the disciples, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up this same Jesus that you see going up in heaven? Will in like manner, these two angels were there to console console the disciples. The same Jesus that you see within like manner come unto you. And they went up to heaven. As they go up to heaven, my pastor, you see, there are celestial songs. They, they extol, they exalt Jesus Christ. But before they get to Jerusalem, there are other angels which are sitting, standing right by, by, by the edges of the walls. Can I preach for a moment? Those that are standing by, by the walls there, they say, they're the ones that are with Jesus. Says, lift up ye gates and lift them up, you everlasting doors, for the King of Glory must come in. And those that are on the other side, they say, Who is this King of Glory? And they repeat as if those ones they didn't have. Lift up your gates and lift them up, you everlasting doors, for the King of Glory must come in. And they say, Who is this King of Glory? Says, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of Glory. And he walks in there. You see, they are about to adore him and make him king. And he says, wait. <laughs> wait. Because there are others that I still must come. There are others that I still must bring with me. And when he comes back, let me cut this long story short. When he comes back, uh, brothers and sisters, 
the Bible says, and he shall be sitting in the throne of his father's glory. In the throne of his glory, he shall come. You see, me and my wife went to England in 2017, and we went to a place called Leicester. On the northern side of Leicester, there's a place called National Space, Science Space, Space Science, or something like that. And they show you the, the universe, and they show you the stars and the galaxies there. And they, they say, this is what we observe. And but what this gentleman said, said to, to us who were sitting there, look, I... I I, I, there's, a, there's an observation we are making, and we don't know what to make of this observation. You see, there, there, is, a, there, is, a, there is a group of stars of galaxies here called uh, 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 Orion. You've re- you all read about Orion. And he says, there's a, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting phenomenon that's happening here. The Orion is opening up. It's opening up, and we don't know what to make of it. I was sitting next to my wife and my son. I nearly stood up and said, I know! <laughs> I know why Orion is, 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 is opening up. You see, the reason why it's, it's, the reason is opening up is because it has declared, it was declared in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, and there was silence in heaven for a period of half an, of, of, of 30 minutes, of, of half an hour. Quietness! In heaven. Why? Because all the angels that you have never known, thousands upon thousands and ten thousands of thousands were were ejected out of heaven, given a commandment to say, let us go and pick men from earth. It is time. So heaven was emptied. Heaven is never emptied. Heaven is usually musical. But at that time, heaven will be emptied. And Isaiah catches the glimpse of that and he says, I know why Orion opens. Because the redeemed of the Lord shall return. They'll come with singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and mourning shall flee away. That's why Orion is opening. Nineteen sixty-seven, a plane takes off. In the afternoon, it's going to Paris, taking off from Tel Aviv in Israel, going to to Paris in France. It's bound to pass by Athens in Greece and pick pick up some some passengers there and go. Now, on its way, as it picks up the there are four passengers that get into the plane in Athens and they continue their, their way. But these four passengers, they were um, terrorists. So they hijacked the plane. The plane had 248 passengers in it and five crew members. It had to go um, to Uganda. That's where they diverted the plane to goes to Uganda, lands in Uganda, enter the airport. Lands there and... The problem that the, the terrorists had, they were coming from, 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 from Palestine. Now, some of their Palestinian fellows had been jailed in Israel. So they wanted them to be released from prison. So they said, we will carry these people hostage. Everyone who is an Israelite in this plane, we carry them hostage until you, our, our demands are met. Release our fellow, fellow Palestinian prisoners from your prisons. They were called terrorists. At that time, the president in, in Uganda was Idi Amini. Some of you may know him. And uh, he had collaborated with the terrorists. So he accommodated this. In fact, he, he deployed his, his MIG-17 and MIG-21s to be part of this whole uh, uh, shenanigan. There were, the, 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 the negotiations started for, 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 for some time, but they collapsed. There was no, there was no arrangement, agreement at all. And Israel made a decision. We will go for our people. Before that, brothers and sisters, of the 248 people that were in the plane, some of, most of them were carried out 
to go to, 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 with their journey to go to France. But those that were remaining, 106 of them were, were Israelites. They were left here and they said, we will kill them one, one by one if you don't give us our demand. Israel said, that's fine. And they hatched a plan. It took five, seven days. It took a week to, have, to come up with a plan. And they call it Operation Thunderbolt. Or Operation Entebbe. And go ahead and look, and look out for it in, in Google if you can. Now, they, they go. Uh, 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 they made a plan. Hatched a plan for, for, for a week. After that, they came up with a plan. At the end of that week, 100 commandos were dispatched from Israel. If you know Israel and their military, military skills, you'll know what I'm talking about. Dispatched from Israel all the way to Africa, Uganda, and Tebe Airport. In fact, before they get that, they get into Kenya, they refuel, and they go into Uganda. When they get into Uganda, it's at night, and they land with their 100 commandos. Now, the, 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 the people that have been held hostage are, are, are separated into some disused airport somewhere. These people knew exactly where to go. And they go there, and they land there, and they killed all the terrorists and all the MIG-17 and MI-21 and rescued everyone. There were 102 people that were rescued. Some were wounded. Only one person died. Carried them into one plane back into Israel. The history says it only took 90 minutes to do the entire operation. They call it the most, the fastest, and the most exquisite, fascinating rescue operation of all times. I disagree. There is another, yet another rescue operation coming. The biggest, best ever. You see, this one, there will not be 100 commandos, but there will be 100,000 times 10,000 and hundreds of thousands of commandos coming to rescue men from this sinful world. We shall defy the force of gravity. When that operation happens, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life shall be saved. But it starts now. If you don't accept the kingdom of grace in this wedding feast, forget about the kingdom of glory. No, you didn't hear that. If you do not accept the kingdom of grace now and change your ways, you will forfeit the kingdom of God. May God help us. We have been called to the wedding feast. Each one of us, may we work with God so that he may refine us and wash us, and make us white as snow, so that we may, he may present us, and Paul says, he may present us, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27, present us without wrinkle or spot. May God bless you.